When you hear the phrase, soft as steel, what do you think of? While the word steel might conjure up images such as massive high-rise buildings, where does the soft part come in? And what exactly does this mean in our work and in our lives? Welcome to the Soft as Steel podcast with your host, Dennis Duran, featuring engaging conversations with a wide range of industry leaders around soft skills, how we practice love, inclusion, social justice, and compassionate leadership that's everlasting in the workplace. And now, here's Dennis Duran. It's not every day that you have the opportunity to have a conversation with an individual recognized by ENR as one of its national 20 under 40. And that's just the latest recognition she has received during her 16-year career. Cabri Lehrman-Schmidt began her career as a field engineer in the Washington, D.C. office of Hensel Phelps. She has progressed steadily, rising to the role of lead project superintendent in 2018. So Cabri has successfully navigated her career with Hensel Phelps and over $1.9 billion of work put in place. Her words do a splendid job of informing all of us about the most critical role in every project, the superintendent. She says, an excellent superintendent is one who builds trust by providing honest and accurate communication, timely follow-up, and focused coordination while maintaining a wide breadth of knowledge, takes pride in supporting projects' owners, stakeholders, designers, and trade partners by providing technical building information, team management strategies, and a hands-on approach to ensuring outstanding safety and quality. She believes that field leadership is particularly well-positioned to shape team culture and success well beyond field operations. Job site management is focused on a creating an environment of psychological safety to center team development, information sharing, and engagement. Gabri, we have a lot to talk about. Welcome to the Soft to Steel podcast. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm so excited to have a conversation where we're talking about the same thing, which is how we can support our people mm-hmm. and how we can leverage the roles that we're in in order to spread that message. Yes, thank you. Yeah, well said. I'm going to zero right in on emphasizing in the last sentence. I want you to talk first about why you understand that job site management is about the environment on the job site. And you mentioned psychological safety. Say more about that. I think it's hugely important. I first learned about psychological safety listening to some podcasts. Amy Edmondson had been starting to speak about it in different really sectors of business, but not as related to construction. And then at the same time, I happened to be really getting into understanding how my role as a lead person in field operations was starting to see how my people needed more support than just technical skills. And so learning about, for example, the mental health challenges that we have found in construction through statistics over the last few years being daylighted, learning how I, as a female superintendent in the industry, become a role model through just existing. And what I learned is that the way I do my business relies on relationships that I was somehow creating that my peers were not. And it was because I really wanted to understand and remain curious about what would make my team, my trade partners successful. And that really resonated with them. And so I was able to build relationships where people were trusting that I had their priorities and their success at the forefront of my mind. Yeah. Why do you think you said others were not doing this? Why? I don't see others as not doing it as an intentional choice. I think that my particular approach was 
seeking to build consensus. Mm-hmm. By walking into a situation, realize that sometimes as a five foot half inch woman, there's a question about what I'm coming into the situation to do and my capability in doing it. And so I spent a lot of time building groundwork with my teammates to demonstrate my commitment to their success, my understanding or curiosity in how they're going to perform their scope so I could help them do it well and better. And so there's a lot of steps that I took to defend my position in leadership mm-hmm. that no one asked me to do, but I felt was really important to establish the mutual respect on my teams. You came into the industry after some trailblazing was done by other women who are still leaders in the industry in various capacities. You obviously benefit from that, but it seems that just the way you talked about the role of the superintendent, that you fully embrace this as not being uh, an issue of male versus female, young versus old, but really it's, it speaks to the fact that there is critical management activities involved in a, in a very practical way, but uh, you hint very strongly when you use words like team culture and success, uh, you hint very strongly towards a recognition of what I call, and you know that I've written a book entitled Soft as Steel, and I talk about soft skills, people's qualities, not, not, not the skill, but the qualities that people have, and it seems that you've, you fully embrace that uh, and understand that it's important that, that what you say and what you do a need to be uh, in in sync uh, because you are in a leadership role. Uh, you happen to be a woman in a leadership role, which is still, a, 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 frankly, a fairly rare commodity. Uh, it's getting better, but it's still not where it needs to be. Say more about th- th- that aspect of who you are and how you you deliver on leadership. The messages that you speak about in your book and those essential skills while we're just mentioning here about me being female and taking that that perspective into how I perform my work, those skills have nothing to do with gender. Um, they are essential to creating balanced relationships where people understand your intent, where you are deliberate about how you communicate uh, your questions, your your asks of others. It allows you to say, I'm recognizing you as another person that's part of this conversation and that you're inviting somebody into that conversation. I think that being able to form relationships from my perspective does come from a place of my own personal world experience where I'm making sure that I'm coming in without, uh, with as little questioning to what I'm there to do and as much ability to build a strong foundation with my teammates so that they have a trust in what we're going to perform together. Say more about, or tell us, tell us a story. Uh, tell us a story about your early days uh, in your career and uh, situations that you encountered uh, that, that were, uh, again, to be, to be blunt, that were gender-related, uh, that, uh, you know, things that may have happened to you because you were uh, a woman who is not uh, not only accomplished from a, a, an academic preparation standpoint, uh, but you're articulate. You you present a, a very strong uh, personality in a, in a most positive way, very confident, without arrogance at all, but very confident, which I'm sure has won you the day in many situations. But 
tell us what, what you can about some of the experiences you had early on that, that impacted you then and maybe continue to this day to be in the back of your mind as, as considerations. Sure. That's, that's a great question because I, I do have the uh, many opportunities to speak to women in the industry. And often I'm asked, like, how hard was it in the field? I can honestly say I have never had an issue with violence or direct disdain or disrespect um, in my 16-year career. What I have had is an absolutely daily defense that I need to put up to ensure I'm never incorrect. Mm. Now, everybody's incorrect, but the need to perform at a caliber where you don't give opportunity to be pushed aside or questioned that you've done your due diligence and you're standing behind it. I feel that as a woman, the risk is the amount of brain power you put into making sure that you're at the top and delivering at the highest caliber if you're going to retain respect, or it's just making sure that people understand that they can look to you for those answers so that you're not able to be brushed aside. You, you remain as somebody people deeply respect because you're tapping into the industry's value systems of pride of work, a value on apprenticeship and teaching and passing on skills, and that I'm acknowledging the people who are working in our industry's desire to serve their families and communities. And I think that the way anyone in the industry can tap into that mutual respect is by applying their skill sets and building relationships based on those values. And so back to your question about how has, how has there been a story in which I have felt the difference of being a woman in the industry? It wasn't early in my career, but it made me realize the impact in my career. I was working night shift for quite a long time on the critical path scope of an airport. And tough scope around the public, demo, hot work, abatement, new structure, escalators, changing of pathways for passengers and employees. And I would stay in the mornings to be able to report what was going on at night. And at one point, a supervisor said, you know, Cabri, you just, you have to let go of all of their drama. And it was the first time in my career where I thought, but, but wait, I, I had the scaffolding team stay late and perform twice their scope because I understood what the issue was. Mm -hmm. It had nothing to do with, it wasn't like shooting, like conversation at a, at a water cooler. This was, I understand why that person's not here and that you need material through this different gate. And so I'm going to go out of my way to coordinate that with airport operations, mm -hmm. not drama. And so that really kind of framed, what is the difference of me in the industry? And it's, not brushing aside surface value of conversations that can go deeper, which lead to people creating, collaborating, and exchanging more information that only makes us both more successful. Mm -hmm. You've obviously fully grasped the notion of what your colleague was saying when he talked about you, know, you can't uh, deal, deal with the drama was a lack of recognition that one of the ways that you have an opportunity to be successful, even transactionally in dealing with other people, is simply by listening to them uh, and, and then responding. 
uh, not think, oh, he's got, he's going to, I know he's coming over here. He's, he's got something he's going to be whining about. And you, so you predispose yourself to how you listen, which is with no interest in, in, uh, in, in a mutual exchange. Is that about, is that a fair way to describe it? Absolutely. And I think it ties to how well you celebrate soft skills in that I very strongly believe, and usually my platform as a superintendent to convince people of what you just described, Mm -hmm. is that soft skills like listening, like empathy for what you're asking somebody to perform, is hand in hand with your daily technical responsibilities. It is not siloed. It is not separate coaching. It is performed as you're reviewing a submittal and asking the engineer to answer your question because you misplaced anchor bolts. Mm-hmm. Like it's knowing what you're asking somebody to do so that they say, Hey, I will do that because they understand mm-hmm. and they'll advocate for me the next time I have a conversation. Yeah. Relationships, relationships. I talk, I talk uh, almost daily about why it's so important uh, to uh, recognize the need to constantly work on improving what I call a core competence, which is communication skill, being able to communicate in a variety of forms, particularly one-on-one communication, um, where you're dealing with another person because, uh, and I'm sure you jump to agree with this notion, uh, you don't build a relationship uh, with a company. Uh, if you're if you're Jacobs, you don't build an enge- a relationship with a CM firm that may be uh, holding another contract. You build relationships with individuals, and you do it one individual at a time. And so it so it takes a lot of time. Uh, it takes months, and maybe in some, in the case of some relationships, which are critical to long term success and opportunity, it could take years. Um, but it could take seconds or minutes to to damage or destroy that relationship. Uh, so it's clear to me that uh, that that makes sense, and I'm sure that that's a, a critical ingredient uh, in why you've enjoyed uh, the progression and the success that you have. Uh, I'm sh- I, 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 I see a person who acknowledges and practices the importance of communication as a core skill. The need to understand your audience is what drives your ability to communicate. Um, Lots of great quotes out there, like a superintendent's plan means nothing if people don't understand the plan. You you can go through all of the, do you present a Gantt chart versus a colored graphic to explain the schedule? It's all related to how people around you are taking in information. And of course, that differs across the board, whether you're talking about the CM firm, the city inspector, the safety manager, the trade partner out in the field, the, you know, everybody has a different interest, different keywords, language that they're looking for, that they're listening for when you're speaking. Those one-on-one relationships, time can build incredible relationships. I am headed back to the airport after my current project because of the relationships I built there over six years. Um, really great opportunity that we are continuing to have with a new project. But as a superintendent with what could be a rather transient group of people on my job site every day, right? You know, I have 20 finishers come in for a slab and then they're gone. Mm -hmm. Um, We also need to look for ways to establish that expectation of communication, relationship, caring, and empathy uh, immediately in those seconds. And I think there are pretty solid ways we can do that on the job site, starting with 
the very first moment of orientation. And I don't mean sitting in a trailer for an hour safety, you know, briefing. Mm -hmm. I mean, introducing people to each other when they come on site, whoever it is you're talking to, introduce the person to them and how they relate to one another, Mm -hmm. telling them where the restrooms are, Mm -hmm. explaining them how we got here, making them feel as if they are worth hearing more information and a bigger picture. Um, Simply saying, on this project, we talk to each other and we make sure that we know what's happening. Um, And I've blown a few minds saying that like in a morning huddle when people are first there, they're like, where am I right now? I don't know. (laughs) You're on my job site. Welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, Gosh, I'd love to be on one of your job sites. Um, You, you, again, you were recognized by ENR in in, an incredibly elite group of individuals. Um, and you're, and you're obviously, again, you're confident, but also I, I, I see and feel in you uh, a very wide thread of humility. Um, why were you one of the 20 under 40? Why do you think you were, you were recognized in that way? Oh, goodness. Do you want my negative self-talk to pop in here with, uh, you know, <laughs> it's only because you're a, a female superintendent? Um, no, I don't think it's that. Um, I am very lucky to be inspired to do the work I do every day on the job site. Let's see, whatever that is, 70 hours a week, five to six, you know, on, on the job site, except when I'm home caring for my kids like today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that work is sometimes inspiring. I mm-hmm. love solving problems face-to-face with people and seeing, walking away and seeing two parties continue to problem solve. Love it. Mm-hmm. But gosh, that work is hard. Um, it's a lot of responsibility to care for on my last project, 300 people's lives. Mm. Um, what inspires me is reaching out into the industry and making connections and using the platform that I've earned as a lead superintendent who is, like you mentioned before, not the common picture of one. Mm-hmm. And so when I am asked to speak or to have a platform, I've had the opportunity to dive in and address mental health in our industry, mm-hmm. how superintendents can approach psychological safety, how field leadership can fill the training gap for our four persons. Like I've had the opportunity to step into roles where I get to surround myself with really inspiring people and to connect others to share that message. And there's a whole group of amazing people out there doing this work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is. I didn't get a chance to to read the the issue of ENR that had your profile or some information about you. Uh, what did they? Wh- what was it about you that that stood out to them uh, in in how they describe why you were selected? It was my involvement with the industry's mental health initiatives, as well as growing the platform for how superintendents can increase inclusion at the job site level. I think that superintendents and other field operations leadership at the job site level are the hinge pin for our industry mm-hmm. for changing negative perceptions, overcoming historic biases, changing stigmas that have built up over time. Um, there are a lot of amazing and growing initiatives out there that are geared towards salaried individuals still. I'm a salaried individual, so I, I can say that, but somebody's got to be that bridge yeah. to bring it to the rest of our industry, the people actually putting the work in place that drive the whole industry forward. And so it's the work that I've been doing to voice that position mm-hmm. and to empower field leadership. Mm-hmm. 
that they recognized. When you talk about uh, about mental health, you're in the you're in the neighborhood that also includes uh, addiction, uh, suicide, uh, all the all the myriad of of challenges we face in our industry, which which we are not proud to say we we we, we lead we lead industries in, in in a number of categories, including including suicide, including incidents of mental health. Um, uh, so you're you're in a place, and if you're if you're doing this great work, which it sounds clearly like you are, the messaging sounds like it's consistent and positive, and intended to both inform but also uplift people around these 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 issues. You're working in a space which is absolutely essential uh, to preserving the the, the the potential of our future in the industry. So I applaud you for that, and and that makes total sense that 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 would be an ingredient uh, that brought you recognition. Um, I'd also, you know, I, I, let's go into another category. This has become a conversation about one individual in a particular generation of a particular gender uh, who, un, who clearly uh, understands, embraces, and utilizes every day uh, the proper combination of hard and soft skills to get the job done. So uh, the question is this. Is there someone, or, or has there been, maybe it's, maybe it's been different people, uh, is there someone who has acted as your mentor uh, that you can identify, not by name uh, or even position, but just someone in, in your career journey uh, that had had or maybe still has a tremendous impact on you as a mentor? I've had a number of mentors throughout my career, none of which I can necessarily even pinpoint as most impactful. But the people who have achieved success in relationships who have attracted a following and who decided it's not just about treating everybody the same, but really figuring out and honing in on what it takes to treat people with what they need that have been the most interesting to me. When we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, the question becomes, how are you treating people? And what's interesting to me is that it takes a lot of curiosity to learn what people actually need. And that's really hard to fit into a box. And so I've seen that I've been mentored through it with how individuals around me have remained curious by the people that they're working with. And so that's been the most intriguing when I see people who have attracted a following, but found a way to build relationships where people feel valued. Mm -hmm. The other aspect of mentorship for me has been those who have been really successful communicators. And I'll, I'll tell you another story here that goes totally back to my childhood. My high school present from my parents was a PowerPoint clicker. <laughs> um, as a middle schooler, I had to give presentations to state my case about going to sleepovers. Like <laughs> I will get a ride to Heather's house and go to my soccer game in the morning. If I do my homework on Thursday, we can make this work. Can I go? Were your parents engineers? I, uh, that's the first thing I think of. <laughs> no, my, my, my father was, um, a team leader with Pfizer pharmaceuticals. So just team management, but very into communication and how yeah. one understood the words to choose to connect. Yeah. Yeah. Connection. There's a word. Yeah. Uh, you know, we often think about that immediately and we think about it in, a, in, in, in almost a, the synonym is attraction. 
uh, which is not what we're talking about. Although you could argue that, yeah, connection in the business setting, uh, in the workplace, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is 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 part of the process. Um, and uh, and sometimes it's brought about by necessity, meaning this is the person you have to deal with. Uh, but in other circumstances, it could be that you see or hear or talk to someone. You say, "I, I want to get to know them better," uh, you know, and and so the connection is established for whatever reason, and then the relationship building begins. When you talk, so you mentioned DEI, which is is still in in active conversation. Although, sadly, I've I've heard through a few conversations, and and this will be a gender comment uh, that some of the of that uh, continuing uh, group of individuals referred to as old white guys are tiring of the, the DEI conversation, which is an indication of the fact that they just aren't getting it. Um, not for this reason, but the four things that I talk about and, and were the pillars of a, of a, of a virtual event that I uh, delivered live uh, last year. Uh, and I continue to talk about these things, including obviously in this, in this uh, podcast, and, and we're not going to bring in very squarely right now in the conversation, but it, we've already been talking about it in a certain sense. And that is I talk about four things because I think they're all important to talk about. One is I talk about love. So I'm going to ask you a, a question about love in a moment. The second thing I talk about is inclusion. Uh, the third is social justice. And if you stop there, you could take inclusion and social justice and say, well, that sounds like maybe a little different way or a little, maybe a little uh, more interesting way to talk about what other people call DEI. Because to me, diversity is just, it just it's about cataloging differences. Uh, and then the only thing you have to do is recognize that differences shouldn't be a barrier. Uh, they should simply be a, a, a fact about an individual. I've got blue eyes, you've got green eyes. You're male, I'm female. You know, identical twins are not identical. Those kinds of conversations. When you talk about inclusion, that's that's the intentional idea of of everyone should be uh, part of the, the workplace, a job opportunity, a community, etc. And that one of the things that we also have to address is the social justice piece, which gets us takes a little bit further than our conversation to this point, because it talks about just, again, things related to uh, awareness of mental health issues, uh, addiction, suicide, violence, uh, all those types of things. And all, also goes to the far end of the world, which is the George, the George uh, Floyd uh, consideration that is, you know, when that kind of violence and obvious hate and racism uh, arises, um, and then my fourth thing is is leadership. And our conversation has been uh, quite a bit about leadership. You as a leader specifically. Um, so let's go back and what is when I say uh, I say love. What is that? What how, how do you operationalize that, or do you? I do, and my love for the people that I work with, the amount of energy I put into the role I have every day for the lives of you know, the 70 people on my job site comes from my wanting to demonstrate that the job means more, that I recognize and want them to understand that I recognize their value, that they are living, loving human beings that are coming to work, that they love some part about their job and that I can create an environment where they get to do what they love without the things that they don't love about it. And so usually that has to do with being able to, you know, do their job well without being interrupted or without mm-hmm. getting questioned or without getting demeaned or distracted. And so part of my job just logistically is making their work flow better 
for them mm -hmm. to be successful. I mean, that's production. I'm not mm -hmm. talking about like floofy pie in the sky things here. You mm -hmm. said, how do I make it operational? Like love can equal production when you mm -hmm. understand what people are trying to enjoy about their work. It's recognizing that people have lives that are bigger than just the job site and mm -hmm. being able to connect and resonate. And that doesn't mean that I know everything about them. They don't know everything about me, but it's a recognition that I'm seeing them as more than just somebody putting up drywall. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I operationalize love mm -hmm. by showing people that they are welcome and that I want them to love what they're doing where right. I can control, which is my job site. You're taking my breath away, young lady. Um, it's, I mean, you, the way you said that is just magnificent. Um, my mentor, a guy named Steve Farber, uh, who's a published leadership author, wrote a book 20 years ago called, called The Radical Leap. Uh, and LEAP is an acronym that, uh, that talks about love, energy, audacity, and proof. And he says that, that, that love, uh, if you cultivate love uh, in, your, in your organization, um, that generates energy inspires people to take risks, to be audacious in a, in a proper sense. Uh, and that, uh, and then if you're, if you do all those three things, there is proof provided that it's a good way to do it. He also says that you need to do what you love in the service of people who love what you do. And I believe that strongly. That's my motivation for what I do, including having conversations with incredible leaders like yourself and you are a leader you clearly are a leader whether you want to be one or not and you give me and my generation hope uh, in the construction industry that your generation and hopefully an increasing number of women in this industry will bring about the kind of changes that will operationalize love recognizing how practical it is how important it is because it implies so many things about how we treat each other as human beings and just, you know, the floor is just basic mutual respect and dignity. And then we can grow from there. Any last thoughts before we unfortunately have to end this conversation, which I don't want to end? I'll circle back to maybe a thought about diversity. Something that I learned over the course of my career. You know, I started right where a lot of people start, which is I was a woman in the industry that was just starting to try to recognize women and it backfired. None of us wanted to be set aside or treated differently. We didn't want to think of ourselves as different and we didn't want people surely to see us as different. One of the guys, right? My perspective on that changed completely when I became a project superintendent. And as I've grown to understand more about psychological safety and my leadership style and bridging communications on my job sites, what I want to share with people is that diversity, recognizing the differences in people, does not equal creating silos, isolation, or division. Diversity and the way that I can use that as a you know, connecting means on my job site is when you identify something unique about somebody, a background, a family structure, a history, a school, a sport, mm -hmm. whatever it is, mm -hmm. people's different perspectives. When you can find ways to connect people and make them resonate with one another, you harness incredible community. It does not detract from them being part of the job site community, the construction community, the carpenters, the laborers, the iron workers. It galvanizes people's energy in a new way. Mm -hmm. And so I think identifying people's diversities, educating people on why that's valuable, 
when I talk about either mental health or neurodiversity or LGBTQ pride, when you find people who are bilingual and can connect on that, mm-hmm. you harness such incredible power that just adds to the impact, positive impact of our industry. It does not detract from it. This has been an incredible, energetic, complete joy to have this conversation with you. It would not have been nearly as interesting if I'd sent you prepared questions. Indeed. (laughs) But (laughs) I thank you for your time. I don't need to wish you success, but you're taking care of yourself and doing it. And you're working for a good company. We didn't talk about your company specifically, but it's a good company. It's the kind of company that people stay at for a long time. And so, you know, you may be able to ride an entire career with the company you work for. That notion of tenure is still one of those things that's out there. I mean, some people jump around project to project, big program to big program, but you've done the jumping program to program, project to project with one company, which says a lot about you, but also says a lot about them. They must do a good job of recognizing the people that are contributing to being able to provide the best service to their customers, to lead their personnel in the field and have safe, both the physically and psychologically safe work sites. So I congratulate for all that you've done so far. I'm very grateful that you spent this time with me and I look forward to seeing and getting to know you better. Thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of the Softest Steel podcast with your host, Dennis Duran. Dennis is the author of Softest Steel and a leading speaker and trainer for organizations across many industries and verticals. To learn more about the work Dennis is doing to activate soft skills in the workplace, contact him at DennisDuranSpeaking.com. Be sure to check out his book, Softest Steel, on Amazon or wherever books are sold. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you'd like to get your podcasts. And please remember to share this episode with your friends, colleagues, and anyone you feel would benefit from the conversation. We'll see you next time on the Softest Steel Podcast with Dennis Duran. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.